Welcome to the Foxtails podcast. I'm Ivo and I'm excited to welcome you back with another episode where we deep dive into the music industry. With me in the studio, it's our producer, Brian, who as always is trying to make me sound not awful. And I'm very excited about today's episode because we have a, another special guest. Uh, that's Adam Reed from Deezer. He's the global editor uh, who focuses on the Indian alternative scene. And we're going to explore the way Deezer curate their editorial playlists. Before I invite him in the podcast, I'm just going to have a brief intro about Deezer as a company. Um, and then we're going to kind of jump into the questions because I have a long list for today. So I assume most of you know Deezer. It's one of the major online streaming services in the market right now. It's actually been around for some time. It started in 2016, but as a, a, as a website called Blog Music and then relaunched in 2017 as Deezer, and it's headquartered in um, Paris, but it actually, um, as a service, is available in 187 markets, which is pretty much everywhere. Um, besides that, around, and don't quote me on this one, but I think around 15 to 20,000 tracks are uploaded to Deezer every single day. So it's, so you can imagine the amount of music that editors have to, to listen to in order to curate their editorials. Um, in addition, they also support podcasts, so you can actually stream your favorite shows on the platform. And one other thing I would like to highlight is something I'm quite interested in. I've been reading about it um, for actually some time, even before starting the podcast. That they are one of the people or one of the companies at the forefront of the so-called user-centric payment system. So that's very different than um, the other DSPs. And in that payout system, uh, I think it's also used by SoundCloud, this, uh, which started this year, is basically where um, that payment system splits each user's subscription among the artists they actually listen to. I'm going to just open up. They have a specific website on that if you're curious to find out more. That's deezer.com forward slash en forward slash UCPS. And basically, the goal of the system is to make sure that the, your money or your subscription go directly to the artist you are streaming. They also have a, um, they are on a mission, as they say, to ensure transparent and fair payment to artists and to prevent fraud, which is actually happening a lot on uh, streaming services. And another thing is they promote quite a lot of diverse and vibrant, vibrant music. And a lot of their initiatives actually are very... Um, very diverse in terms of content. So if you're looking to explore new music, I think this is a great place to, to start. The application itself, I'm just going to talk a bit more about it because I use it as well, has a pretty cool features. Two of them I, I particularly enjoy is Song Catcher, which is essentially like a Shazam. So you can use it to, to let's say you're listening to a track on the radio and you don't know what the track is. You can use that feature. And the other one is, I'm not much of a karaoke guy, but play with lyrics. So it kind of sings the lyrics on your screen and then you can just listen to a track with it. Again, not much of a lyrics guy because I enjoy a lot of instrumental music, but pretty, pretty cool feature. They also launched uh, lately, um, they've expanded to Hi-Fi and they launched 360 Spatial Audio with their um, Deezer live sessions, which are pretty cool and you can enjoy like this kind of submersive sound. Um, yeah, so next with me, we're gonna have Adam Reed and I'm very excited to understand what does an editor do?
So yeah, here with me is Adam Reed from Deezer. And uh, before I let you introduce you, Adam, just tell me the most random fact yourself outside of the music industry. Oh, wow. Outside <laughs> of the music industry. Outside of music. Yeah, the goal of the Ooh. podcast is to actually not only explore the, the music business, but also just make people kind of understand that there's people behind all of this and all the clicks and the digital strum. So anything you want oh, to wow. share. Uh, okay, so the only one I can think of is uh, my birth caused a motor race to stop. Uh, <laughs> and that is basically, uh, my dad used to be a marshal at a race course and my mum was heavily pregnant with myself and uh, she got rushed to hospital because it was time for, for me to arrive. So she sent a pager to my dad being like, it's time, we're going into going to hospital. And my dad was in the middle of a race course, a local race course, which he worked at. And we had to stop uh, cars traveling at 120, 130 miles an hour. Uh, I had to completely just stop the cars on the track so my dad could run across the track so then he could get into his car and uh, drive to the hospital. So I guess that's the only thing I could think of. So it's a bit, it's pretty, a bit of a random <laughs> Pretty eventful way to come <laughs> to this world, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My mum my said I've always been impatient since. So, yeah. Which I think I, maybe, and it was the start of things to come, I think. Actually, speaking of time and the concept of time, kind of random question, but because we do listen to a lot of music as Stereofox as well, how quick would you say you know when you f you're going to fall in love with a track when you listen to it? I don't think it's a one rule fits all. I think it's, um, it could be anything. It could be, it could be the first, chords in terms of uh just the structure of say a ballad it could be uh it could be when the strings kick in maybe in a bit more big euphoric track it could just be that the first bars on a rap song hit you around the face and you're like yeah this is great I, it really varies from track to track so but it's purely on gut instinct you know as in, in i think like anybody I'm a, I'm a music fan so it's that it's just that you just have something inside you when you connect with music don't you and when there's a track that just takes it to another level, um, you just know. But there's no one rule for it, so mm -hmm. I, I believe anyway. Yeah. You, you've been in Deezer for about four years, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's your story? Like, what's your story before that? Like, what did you do before? And I, I reckon, like, because back in, like, I guess 10, 15 years ago, like, playlist curator as a job didn't exist. So how did, what's your path before? Or how did you end up actually doing what you do today? Um, so, uh, I thought I was falling into a world of banking and finance. Oh, wow. Uh, I had like an internship one year when I was at university and I hated it. Uh, so then I volunteered to work at a student radio station at my university and they needed someone to be what they called head of music. I thought that sounds like a very cool job. I volunteered to do that. And that was basically, I got given radio programming software and I had to program the music that was being played out on the station the whole time. Obviously, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And basically, <laughs> what it meant was I was playing Nicki Minaj every five minutes on the radio station. I didn't realize. Um, anyway, I, I got in touch with a local radio station with their head of music who taught me how to, how to curate for an audience, how to understand what you're meant to achieve when it comes to curation for an audience. Uh, I got bugged for it. I basically stayed in this cupboard under the stairs where the station was for a year. Um, and then... Pretty soon after, I was working at a label for a little bit, Mute Records, cracking independent label. Um, and then a job came up, a junior role at MTV, 
Um, that's in UK. And it, yes, MTV in the UK. Uh, and it was for a, what they called new editor. And I basically chewed their ear off an interview for about an hour about programming software. And they were like, how does this kid know so much about it? Um, because normally you have, you know, a lot of people get their stories from work for a lot of different labels or a lot of different internships in the industry. I was just very lucky that a job came up at the right time and they took it and they were willing to take a chance on me. And I worked there for four years. I worked um, across uh, a load of channels, including MTV Rocks and uh, MTV Music. That was where I basically learned how to curate for different target audiences because I was working across so many different genres, both in the UK and internationally. And then when the time comes for, for Deezer, it just felt like the perfect platform. Nice. Awesome. I, I love your curation. And so, yeah, just for our listeners, you are global editor for Deezer, but you also focus on the indie and alternative genre, right? Yes. So I almost have two hats, uh, two editorial hats at Deezer. I have, yes, I'm a global Indian alternative editor. So that means I'm responsible for all playlists and other additional content that we do on the platform. That is also responsible for what we call editorializing our channels. So there's like an indie genre channel and we make sure that there's vibrant content going on in there and just making sure that artists and album highlights and all those sort of things are relevant. And then my other hat is I'm the UK and Ireland editorial lead. So that means I have more of an over an overview across all genres in the UK when it comes to curation. So that's playlists again and any other content opportunities that we have. Awesome. Obviously, I was preparing for the episode and I know you've said before that you wouldn't consider yourself as a gatekeeper, but would you consider yourself as a DJ, sort of? Because at the end of the day, when you design a playlist, I assume it does matter the flow, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, when we um, when it comes to curating a playlist, obviously, we have a target audience in mind for each playlist. So it could be, I don't know, Sarah, who's 25, who's a very mainstream pop listener, And we want a relaxing playlist for her just to help us switch off in the evening. Um, that obviously has to have a certain flow. You can't have too many sharp turns mm -hmm. in the playlist. Um, you can't challenge her too much because she just wants to lean back and switch off. Um, but when it comes to, say, I don't know, a frontline dance playlist where you're just playing the biggest bangers in the UK, say in the UK right now, mm -hmm. um, That, that has a different requirement on the type of flow that's required because people just want the hits. So you ha it's really on a case-by-case -case basis how much how important the flow is, but I always have it in my head that it needs to transition as smoothly as it possibly can from, from track to track. So to your point about uh, being a DJ, um, I've, I do, I, I've, I've tried to DJ at parties and stuff. I'm a much better playlist curator than I am a DJ, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Okay. Um, when it when you, I, uh, I can imagine that it really depends on the playlist, but because I really believe Deezer is doing great job um, when it comes to discovery, is there like a formula you follow? Like, for example, let's take Sarah, as you said, like 25 listens to pop. Is there like in your head kind of like, okay, 10%, even though this person I'm designing the playlist for would prefer someone relatively famous, let's say, do you try mm -hmm. to sneak in someone who is really just relatively underground so maybe when sarah listens to the place they're like oh wait what is that oh 100 yeah yeah in every every playlist we always want to it's, it's a combination of giving them what they want what they expect and then just challenging them a little bit because it's one of the biggest joys you get out of being a playlist curator is watching 
artists be discovered and watch their streams go up and their fan number of fans that they have on a platform go up and that only comes from us testing these artists on certain playlists um and, and the thing is because i've been doing this for a little while now i know the types of artists you know for example with Dua Lipa, mm-hmm. i remember when she was breaking through and the type of sounds that she was connecting with and type of playlist that she was connecting with so if there's another pop artist in a similar lane i know i can go okay i know our audience connected to her in this way we can mm-hmm. test her in x playlist y playlist and build them up that way it isn't always uh a guarantee that they're going to connect um it's always trial and error you'd be surprised that your audience surprise you every day in terms of tracks that you almost think is an absolute shoe in to be a hit yeah and just doesn't connect and then tracks that you are willing to try it but you don't think really have the biggest hope and they explode um so it's all about understanding within reason understanding the target user on each playlist their susceptibility to accepting new artists and that varies from genre to genre uh, and also just how they discover artists as well, because, you know, for example, in the rap space, it's very much, you know, new artists explode very quickly compared yeah. to, say, pop. Yeah, um, it does. And in India as well, in, in there's a natural uh, gravitation towards new artists in Indian alternative because they everyone loves that discovery of finding their new favourite band. Um, so it really varies from genre to genre in the type of playlist you're trying to do. Uh, with mood playlists, when it's sort of a lean back experience where people just switch on, and just play it wherever I don't know, they're lounging on the sofa or they they might be just going for a walk or whatever. You can normally put a few more newer mm-hmm. acts in there because they're less likely to change if you've got the vibe right. Um, so in a in conclusion, it really just varies from playlist to playlist how much you can challenge them. But we always want to try and break as many new artists as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I appreciate the the kind of the mood playlist and the kind of I call them situational playlists in in these are this morning on my way to the studio I was listening to a, a new one actually it's morning commute I think was the name mm. and it was just like kind of I was walking it took me like forty five minutes to hear I was just like okay that that image of the playlist and the, the title kind of fits so it was pretty pretty cool to listen to I I want to give you a shout out for the for the anti playlist. Because uh, I know you're creating it. <laughs> and I saw like there is Mogwai, Chet Faker and Green Team Peng, which is very different artist. I grew up on post-rock. So when I saw Mogwai, it was really nice to see that you guys are kind of steering the pot, so to say. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's quite it's quite fun working with uh, certain certain players we can start, especially in the alternative space, because alternative is such a broad sweeping word. Uh, and within that playlist, yeah, we can we can go quite far and wide and go across many genres because that audience is willing is willing to accept those artists and be challenged. Yeah, you you guys do. Oh, I cover this a bit in the intro, of course, but there's so much cool stuff coming out from from Deezer, uh, especially I, I feel like the past year. And and you're responsible for one of them that I really loved was the Inversions project. Maybe you can talk a bit more about it and how it became. I appreciate this kind of different content, so to say, when when it comes to streaming platform. Of course. Uh, Yes, Inversions is one of our uh, flagship Deezer Originals projects. Uh, It came out of, uh, well, it was probably the summer of lockdown last year. And we were were just trying to work out ways to help elevate exciting new Indian alternative artists. Um, And... The challenge I was finding was the sound was starting to be established, but what could we do to really make a difference and 
take these artists to another level. Um, so we thought we'd do our first ever global originals project with artists from this space. And the idea was that they would take an iconic hit and filter that through their sound. Uh, and with the first edition we had, uh, Fontaine's DC do an incredible version of the Beach Boys in the only way they could. We had Arlo Parks do her first ever French song. I love her. She covered uh, Angel. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's incredible. Um, and we had the likes of Alfie Templeman and some other artists as well. It ha- it was much more successful than we had ever imagined. Um, it really connected with our users in a way we didn't expect. We had a cover of Fleetwood Mac Dreams by Chloe Moriondo, veteran pop star, and it exploded on our platform and worked across so many playlists all around the world. And it was incredible to see. And it was a great test case because it showed that these artists' sounds that were connecting on an alternative level could be upscaled if the right opportunity arose. Um, and then we recently launched the second edition, which this time was called Inversions 80s. Um, as you can tell, we focused yeah. it a bit more on one decade. And I mean, let's be honest, the 80s is the most iconic decade for, for hits. Um, so we've had some genuinely incredible covers from the likes of Holly Humberston, who's covered Prince, um, Laura and Vula, who covered Toto. Uh, we had a couple of veteran pop stars like Kuko. Um, yeah, and it's been incredible. And it was we we couldn't be more proud of the project and the elevation that we've given to these Indian alternative art, artists in a time in a pa- and all of this, by the way, has been recorded in a pandemic. So. A lot of these artists recorded it in their home studios. I know Fontaine's DC did it. Mm-hmm. Each band member did it from their own flat because they weren't all living together. And just just the graft and the amazing quality of the music that we got out of it has been amazing to see. And those tracks are still connecting now, even though the project's been out for quite a while. Like we keep seeing uh, Milky Chance did a cover of um, Tainted Love and it's still Oh, it's amazing. It's still yeah. connecting. We, yeah, I love this. Yeah, it, we, we love. We, it's such a fun version, and yeah, we're we're absolutely buzzing with the project. But yeah, and it was just one of those things to give Indian alternative artists a platform they hadn't had before. And and like this because this content is very um, these are specific and it's exclusive. So the, do those types of initiative come within the curator, the editor's team, or it's a collaboration between? let's say the marketing team or the CRM team who's looking for more engagement on the platform. How does, basically it's a segue to my question of how does a day of a curator Deezer looks like? Or uh, Okay, so I'll start with the, the first part of that. So it really varies. We work closely with a lot of teams in the company. Um, so we work extremely closely with our artist relations team who are who lead the conversations with the industry and just talk about what's going on on labels and artists and management and distributor sides. And we tell we we tell the artist relation team what tracks are popping off as well, and maybe look at potential opportunities to grow these artists. Um, so predominantly, it comes out of conversations with I'd say with the content team that I'm in and that team because we've got our with our ears are closer to the ground to explore opportunities. Um, but yeah, it really comes from just a, a passion and just finding an opportunity. You know, for example, our ASMR sessions. Uh, for those that haven't heard it, um, we've had the likes of Tom Jones and Youngblood do ASMR versions of their of their hits, which is, I mean, if you if you like ASMR, you'll love it. It's I I love the fact that it's completely challenging the listeners to listen to tracks in a completely different way. Um, but that came out of a conversation that was had between someone from our artist relations team and just 
speaking to our PR team and just looking at other opportunities. So it it's a very organic way that we do these originals projects. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of a, a a normal day for a playlist curator, um, I'd say about seventy five percent of my day, maybe seventy, is headphones in listening to listening to either new music, so new music submissions, or uh, updating and curating uh, playlists. So whether that's um, prepping ahead for our Friday releases and just looking at going through as many tracks as possible, working out where they possibly could go, what moods they could possibly fit. And then on the other side, I'd be looking um, at the performance of some of our other playlists and what, what we could do to maybe improve them or maybe they're absolutely fine or just give them a little bit of a freshen up. And then the other 25% of the time is working with other teams in the company. So it could be our social media team. It could be a marketing team for potential activation. And, and alongside that as well, I will, I will, with our artist relations team, speak to labels and management and distributors just to get an understanding of what releases they've got coming up, how maybe we as Deezer could work with that artist on a campaign. Um, yeah, so that's the typical day mm-hmm. of, a, of a Deezer curator. Um- we we have a Discord server with a lot of artists, and we sometimes try to source questions before the podcast. And a natural question in in this kind of topic is: is being for an especially up and coming or independent artist nowadays, is being part of an established label or using a specific distributor um, better, or does it increase chances to kind of land into the site of an editor at Deezer? Uh, I would say no. Okay. Um, we have conversations with all of our distributor partners all around the world. So mm-hmm. ed- relevant editors and their artist relations teams will speak to all of these, all of these teams. And we have uh, submission forms as well that can be filled out by any artist and anybody just to, and then that basically that alongside the labels have their own submission forms as well. That all together commit, uh, populates almost what we call like a to-do list for mm-hmm. the editors. And we will go through the uh we will go through all those releases dependent upon what genres they are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we try to create it as even a playing field as possible because we know that tracks will connect with audiences no matter where they're signed to or where they're from. Yeah, as um, long as it's so good music, I guess. Yeah, I'd say you don't you don't have to if I all I would say is if you like go with whichever you uh, label group or mm-hmm. whatever you believe is is right. You don't have to, you don't have to do it because you think you've got a better chance. You've got a good chance if the song is good enough. Yeah. When you uh, one thing when you spoke about them leveling the playing field, one thing that's different in Deezer, and uh, we've highlighted this in a few articles on the website as well. I I think you are the only DSP that has the name and the image of the editor of the playlist do you do you know when was this like a because obviously Deezer has been around for um 15 years or like a long mm. time has this always been the case to be so transparent in the curation process so with the editors it's always been the let's have a human touch okay. side to it because we believe that makes us stand out and we we have a real passion that like we believe it helps reassure our users that there are people behind the machine, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, I think it also helps when a user's listening to say one of my playlists that, um, that you've got a human name attached to it. So you, if it's something that's a bit scary, let's say a new track or a new artist, this person up here that's curated it for you is sort of saying, don't worry, it's fine. There's a reason why, because 
I believe, alongside our team, believe that this track is right for you. Um, so it's something that we've done ever since I can remember from a playlist perspective. And I think it really does help us stand out. And I think it, I, I, and this isn't from a, uh, from, you know, a self-centered egotistical perspective. I just think it's really good to have a human element to the curation and reassure our users that, you know, we're just like anybody else. You've yeah. got someone that you can relate to that's helping create this music experience for you. And I think it makes a real difference at these yeah, I appreciate it. It almost feels because we, we wrote like, a, I would say a year ago, an article on the, the editorial system of Deezer. And when I was doing the research, I realized that even the color scheme and, and as you said, the kind of playlists, uh, you kind of created like a brand of the editor itself. So you kind of know what to expect, which I personally enjoy and does help me explore more in the Deezer ecosystem. But does it, it's more of a, uh, have you ever ever had a because obviously people can find you and or relatively easy to find who creates that playlist? Have you ever been uh, part, I'm looking for the right word? Be, being pestered by like by an artist who found that you're there behind this playlist and reached out on social media or email? And is there something an artist should not do and not cross the line in that sense? <laughs> um, I mean. There are there have been occasions where uh, I've been spotted, which is a very surreal experience because I'm like, why do you know who I am? <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, to be fair, I understand the I mean the lack of it, or like the hustle in the music industry in terms of like you know people will contact me via DMs. What I what I will always push them towards though is our submission forms yeah. and leaning on what their distributor or their label does because. If I was just, like, I don't know, like just replying to random messages that I have in the ether, I wouldn't get any work done. And that's detrimental to everything else we have going on. So I think obviously you can create a network and your network can make a difference. But when it comes to submissions and getting your music on our product, um, it has to go. We, we always lean on our official process because it's too hard and too sporadic if you lean on you know what someone's putting on a, on a DM or, you know, or, so, or somehow they've got hold of your email or whatever. We have to, we have to make it as level a playing field as, as possible to in, ensure that every artist has an opportunity to be heard. Yeah. Streamlining the process basically. Cause I mean, it's very different for us because we are a blog, but we still review music and I know what it's like to get a, to 10 messages a day even. And it's, that's already quite a lot, but I also assume and correct me if I'm wrong, that when people fill in the, the submission form, they provide, or you guys require data that helps you also, I guess, allocate the track, or is there something specific you are, like that helps you as an editor when artists submit? Like, should they describe the genre uh, or the mood or something that would make your life easier, basically? So yeah, for sure. Uh, so the submission form has, uh, so it has, but you have to put in what genre it is, what mood you believe it could be, um, and all of these sort of things that help build a picture around the artist in the track. You have the opportunity within that to upload key information. So that could be about like what support you've had from additional press outlets or maybe support you've had from Deezer in the past. It could be what's going on, I don't know, in a radio perspective, what tour you've got going on, maybe you're supporting an artist, all that sort of thing you can add into the details of our submission form, which helps build a picture for us around who you are as an artist and where potentially you could fit within 
say it's an indie artist within my global indie and alternative playlist pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of opportunities to within the form to help you stand out and actually, and it subsequently helps us in terms of if I'm looking for, if I know that this is where making sure you get this right though, is if you tagged your track as a chilled Indian alternative track mm-hmm. and you have huge rifts in the middle of it, obviously that's not going to yeah, work, it's not work. Just <laughs> time. Um, so yeah, you just, you do have to be careful with what you submit and, and if, and if it, if you're trying, if you believe that you're going to be the biggest star of all time, but you're starting an alternative space, don't label it as pop yeah. because it's not pop. Yeah. If you know what I mean, even if you believe that you are going to be the next Billie Eilish or whatever, it's yeah. not going to, it's not going to be there yet. So just make sure you get all of your tags right when you do your submission form. Do you, do you discover besides the submission forms and your conversations with the, with the labels, etc. do you, discover music in a different way like there's a lot of talk obviously for the elephant in the room tiktok and sometimes lately i had uh, conversations with a few artists who basically said i don't want to have tiktok so i don't have a chance to succeed and personally i find it kind of puzzling but do you usually research if you let's say something catches your ear do you go out of your way to research or check their social media presence is it important even if the music is good uh, yeah, well, so well, when it comes to curating for a playlist, that it always comes back to, is it the right fit? So it could be the best, it could be the the song that has blown me away the most that week. But if it doesn't fit within any of my playlists, it's not those that I can mm-hmm. I can do with it, if you know what I mean. Um, but I'm always on the lookout uh, off-platform as well. So just looking at what's going on. I'm a music fan, so I consume music content in any other way, like other people do. So, you know. If I'm, I don't know, I'm in the car and or, or I'm in a car with a friend and a friend's got the radio on, you know, I'm listening to music that way. You know, when I'm at festivals, um, like I'm going to my first festival this weekend. Which one is months, it? Which is very exciting. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, but that's all about discovering in different ways. So, uh, I think you've got to give, as an artist, you've got to give yourself the best opportunity possible to be discovered. If that means you've got to have profiles here there and everywhere if that if that's giving you an opportunity to shine and you believe you can stand out then definitely Mm -hmm. what i don't see i don't see the harm in in doing it and the thing is with tracks that blow up say on tiktok it comes back it does come back to streaming and we see it on our side where a track will bounce bounce up if it goes viral and then obviously we we can react to it if we deem it applicable for certain playlists and things like that one thing I always wonder about in the case, especially of TikTok, um, because there was an article last week I read, uh, I'll send you later if you're interested. Uh, there was a, It was analyzing the average duration of a track based on the growth of social media. And it's been, they basically used the, like big data, obviously, and found that the tracks are progressively becoming shorter and shorter and hooks are coming in way earlier. But I feel, and again, not a professional curator for a big DSP, but Sometimes a hook could be very good and deezer for a, speci- um, a TikTok for some dance move, but that wouldn't probably mean that a track would do well in a streaming world, so to say. I know you're absolutely right. I mean, they've got, they've got, they've got different purposes for keeping users entertained. Um, obviously, because you can contribute a dance trend to, you know, uh, you contribute a dance trend to something on that on that platform, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to be a hit on a, on a streaming service. Um, 
it's just case by case because we're curating. Well, I mean, from my perspective, I'm curating a listening experience for our users. Um, in some cases, the the hookier tracks obviously will work in playlists that lean towards audiences that just crave those hooks nonstop. Um, <laughs> you've got to think about even back in the old days from a radio perspective, quite often on a radio perspective, to keep listeners hooked, they would play the hook of the song and then go into the main track. Mm. So this isn't something that has not been done before. It's just been almost repackaged in a in a slightly different way. But when it comes to, uh, yeah, in terms of like hookier tracks and stuff, it's just, it's just down to us understanding what our users want and what the type of experience we're trying to curate for these playlists and whether they're applicable or or not. Mm-hmm. Speaking of understanding what the users want um, and speaking about data, I guess, do you, when you, let's say you push an update of a playlist, do you ever go back to the, um, let's say you've created the playlist based on your feeling uh, as a human, which is, I think, great. Uh, do you ever go back and look at the data and analyze whether actually track performs good or bad? Like, I would assume, and here I'm just speculating, that you can see whether people skip a track maybe or how much time a track has been listened on average within the playlist. Uh, do you later like fix or change your uh, decision based on data? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously I'm from a data background as well. So, I mean, my view is if you've, if you've got that data there, why don't you use it to help build a better judgment? Obviously, you, you lean on, as an editor, you lean on a, what we call an editorial instinct. But you you need the data to help build that instinct. So mm-hmm. you look at the progression of of maybe the track maybe wasn't skipped as much or, you know, things like that that can make a real difference. We have like a, a data portal on our side where we can look at different performance metrics within mm-hmm. within a playlist and also taking into account the type of playlist it is and the targets we set for each playlist. Um, then we look at the data portals and the perform- different types of performance metrics on those tracks to help make the right decision. But it's always a combination of data and my editorial instinct. Because if you just have, from a human curation side, if you have one and not the other, you're not creating the best playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, because not all DSPs are the same. Uh, and in the case of Deezer, finding, let's call them independent playlists, so uh, playlists created by users is relatively easy. Um, do you use other data? Like, for example, if a track has been on like a hundred user playlists or I know you guys have the, I speak about a bit in the intro, song catcher feature. So if a lot of people use song catcher to find this one track, do you have this data available for you as well? Or is that, does it play a difference in uh, standing out? Yeah, I mean, sorry. Uh, yeah, for, for song capture, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because it's a great tool that we have, and it can. Uh, and for, for those who don't know Songcatcher, it's basically you can you press a button on the Deezer app, and, it, and if you don't know the name of the, you don't know the name of the song, it will automatically show you the song and let you add it to your library there and then. Um, so yeah, that is a massively useful thing that we can look at. There's loads of different things that we're very fortunate that we can look at. Um, a lot of them I'm not at liberty to say, unfortunately. Yeah, of course. I um, totally understand but, uh, that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it it just gives you a general overview of the performance of tracks and artists and even albums um, to help make the right decision when it comes to curation. We can just lean on, you can just gauge the trends on 
certain things that are moving in the right direction. Something that might have, I don't know, exploded overnight because it was on a, uh, it was on a big TV show, for example, or it was a big TV performance, mm-hmm. or it might be that, like I was saying, it might be performing at a festival and then you see the bounce on the other side so you can react off the back of that. All these sort of things feed into this ecosystem mm-hmm. that then we look at on our side, see the explosions in in trends of tracks and then help make an editorial decision off the back of it. Would you would you also say um, that's a topic which is going on a lot in the field lately with the with the all the possibilities an artist has to release an album or sort of release strategies. So like you see a lot of people dropping a single every month and then the co-accumulation is an album. There was a guy who was doing like exactly every first Monday of the month and then the album dropped in December. Uh, would that matter? Because um, some people argue that this sort of release strategy tells a story in a sort of slow manner and it's kind of interesting as opposed to dropping the whole album. For you as an editor, do you look into that, um, like the story behind and the strategy behind the release? So it's always good to know or get an understanding of what, as an artist and a team, you're trying to achieve. If you, if you have a, a, a structured plan in terms of what you're working towards, it might be you're releasing, I don't know, a track every month for the next four months ahead of you doing a live tour let's say mm-hmm. um that can sometimes help my editorial decision making because say you're a new artist i can test you in one of my emerging artist playlists and hopefully if it connects build you up further and further then maybe if that and then if that works jump you into a bigger playlist and with in the back of my mind that you're working towards a tour in four months time it might be that we could get the track to quite a big a big players within my ecosystem at the point that you're on the road. Um, but it, it can help make, it can help make part of the decision. Mm-hmm. What I would say is, is just a piece of advice. You just make sure you've got a, a succinct plan that you're happy with. Um, and this is more, less so from a curation side, but more just from a discovery, like for helping you to be discovered. If you're a bit too scattergun with it all, and you really say two, two tracks in a month, and then you don't do anything for, seven eight nine months yeah, you've got no weird. opportunity in the world right now to be discovered um so just have a real clear pat clear plan about what you want to achieve and shout about your wins and how you're going to work with all the possibilities on all of the all of your partners and shout about it on socials and everything like that and maybe try and get a support slot all these sort of things to create as much noise as you possibly as you possibly can I was going to ask you for one piece of advice for up and coming artists, but I think that's actually great advice. <laughs> what you, what you just said, uh, do I'm kind of wrapping up because it's already been super awesome information, but do you have a favorite playlist? You like love curating from, from your selection or they're all your creations and you love them equally. Uh, I mean, it's that, it's that when people say, what's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite child? <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of. Sorry. I put <laughs> you in the spot here. Um, it, to be fair, it varies from uh, it varies from day to day and mood to mood. Um, there's a playlist I make on my global and alternative side uh, called Silk, which is like alternative R and B, alternative soul, a little bit of alternative rap in there. That I, I, I was I was uh, I was doing some work on it last week, and I'm really proud of that one because it's uh, it's just a really good it's just really good vibe with genuinely incredible artists, and there's so many artists coming around in that space in those spaces it's great to have a platform for that so yeah i'd say silk at the moment but 
that will probably change when I do my next playlist update in about four hours. Hopefully we circle back the next time we speak uh, together. Do you, it's a bit of a personal question, but also again, like it's not just about your curation. Do you ever get overwhelmed with the, with the amount of music coming away or do you have like a way to kind of vent, not vent out, but relax or just escape from the constant inf like influx of tracks coming your way? Like, how do you? That's a very, it's a very good question. Um, obviously it is a conversation topic at the moment about looking after your mental health. Yeah, exactly. Industry and I'm, I think it's great that the conversation is being had more and more. Um, yeah, you do have to be conscious because you are headphones in a, a lot of the time. Um, but what I've I've got to a situation now, I've been at Deezer for almost four years, is just making sure you have regular breaks. So whether that's going for coffee or maybe that's going for a walk around the block. And uh, I'm quite... And then the probably one thing I do at the end of the day uh, when I've finished for the day is I actually... Uh, listen to a podcast for the next hour. Mm -hmm. So just, to, and nothing connected to music at all. So just so I can have almost like a mental cleanse, whether that's, I don't know, about football or something like that. Uh, just to make sure I have a complete cleanse. So then I, you know, that just helps you balance your mental state out. Even though it's listening to something else, it's still a, a release and helping you to switch off. Because you do have to be conscious because you could easily, you know, have your, have your cans on and just be listening to music for from nine until six and you take your headphones off. You haven't realized you haven't drunk anything or eaten or anything. So yeah. yeah and you are way more productive. I find I've, you're way more productive that way as well. Yeah, so it's, it's just looking after yourself and just taking regular breaks when you can. It is easy to, to get lost. Who, who are your favorite podcasts that are not music related? Something that Ooh. you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a very big football fan. Okay. So, uh, so there's a lot of football podcasts that I listen to on rotation. So, It would be unfair of me to all of the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I listen to, I listen to so many on my commutes that uh, it'd be unfair to pick one out or the other. But yeah, predominantly it's, a, it's more of a, a, yeah, something something like that that's connected to a different interest that just helps me switch off. It's normally the way I go from a podcast perspective. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for this conversation. I don't know if you're at liberty to share how people can find you online. Uh, up to you. I totally understand if you don't want to share that. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, Adam Reed underscore. Uh, and yeah, if you if in terms of submitting music to Deezer, if you uh, if you search Deezer submission form online, you'll find it straight away. Yeah, I'll put that link. Thank you for this conversation, and thank you guys for listening. I'm Ivo, and you can follow us at We Are Stereo Fox on Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm.